0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-florifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His Kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, it's very good to be with you once again tonight and I'm very thankful again to God for the privilege of being here in South Africa and to minister the Word of God. So we want to study tonight the Bible's teachings, at least in part, regarding singleness. And when we want to correctly understand man and woman, we must begin at the beginning. We did that last night, but again we will do that tonight. We must turn to Genesis and learn from God's revelation about the identity of men and women. It is in Genesis at creation that we must begin to obtain our theology of singleness. So again, last night, we turned to Genesis to learn about marriage. But it is in Genesis that we also learn our theology of singleness, or at least begin to learn it. So you who are unmarried men and women are to honor God and the Lord Jesus Christ in your lives of singleness. And if you're to do that, you must understand who you are as God's creatures. And so we're going to consider again in Genesis, God's creation of man and woman. And this is not a repeat of last night's message. But turn now in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Either on your phone or in a paper version, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. We'll stop our reading there, but now turn to Genesis 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul so from these passages in genesis i would like you to see first of all that man and woman were created by a direct act of god now the way he created the man and the way he created the woman was different as we saw last night but they were created by a direct act of god And you need to understand that and believe that and embrace that. Man is not the product of either naturalistic or theistic evolution. Man did not evolve over the course of millions of years or thousands of years. Man did not evolve in the way that so-called scientists say. The unbelieving biologist named Neil Campbell who is now dead, he died a few years ago. He has written, he wrote biology textbooks in the English language, and his biology textbooks are the most widely read biology textbooks in the English language in the whole world. And I've read some of them. I have a degree in biology. So the unbelieving biologist, Neil Campbell, was not correct when he wrote, chimpanzees and humans represent two divergent branches of the hominoid tree that evolved from a common ancestor that was neither a chimpanzee nor a human." End quote. I mean, he really believed that nonsense, but it is nonsense. Man is not, as another man wrote, the outcome of accidental collections of atoms. That was the British philosopher an unbeliever by the name of Bertrand Russell. He said, we're just the outcome of accidental collections of atoms. No, that's not true. Neither was the creation of man and woman some sort of accident or an afterthought of God. God personally and directly created both man and woman on day six of creation week. So that's the first thing you all need to understand Man and woman were created by a direct act of God. But secondly, man is the crowning work of God's creation. And first of all, this is revealed in the purposeful order of creation. Man was created at the culmination of God's activity of creation on day six. Man is not merely another animal. Rather, man occupies, and when I say man, I mean man and woman, man occupies a position of the highest significance in the created order. And such a statement is not an expression of arrogance on my part. It's not an expression of arrogance on the part of any Christian who teaches this truth. This is simply biblical and historical reality which God has revealed to us. The fact that man is the crowning work of God's creation is intended by God not to make us proud and arrogant, but rather to humble us. Even as David was humbled as he meditated upon this reality in Psalm 8. And I'd like you to turn to Psalm 8 and we'll read verses 3 through 5. Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 3, David wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him man but little lower than God, And crowned him with glory and honor. You see, there we stop our reading. As David thought upon the vastness of the heavens which God created, he was struck with awe. And then he was humbled as he considered the place which God gave man in the created order. Just think for a moment. Tonight it's a cloudy night, but we've had some clear nights. You leave Johannesburg, you drive to whatever direction takes you out into the bush where you're away from all light pollution, and it's a totally cloudless night, and you stand there and you look up and you see blackness, but it's full of stars that God created And then you think about how small you are as a man or woman standing on this earth. And that is meant to produce in you an awe for God, the creator, and it is meant to humble you. So though created as the crowning act of God's creation, yet you need to remember you are a creature and you are but dust. So we need to follow David's example. So man is the crowning work of God's creation. It's revealed, first of all, in the purposeful order of creation. But secondly, the fact that man is the crowning work of God's creation, this is revealed by the words used in the Bible to signal man's creation. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, note the words that are used to signal the creation of man. They are different from the words used to signal the previous creative activity of God. Prior to man's creation, we read repeatedly, and God said, let there be. You see that in Genesis 1, verses 3, 6, and 14. Or we read, let the waters, or let the earth. Genesis 1, verses 9 20 and 24. But with the creation of man, the pinnacle of God's creation, we read in Genesis 1:26, and God said, Let us make man. It doesn't say, Let there be man, but rather, Let us, God, make man. This is a very different formula of words used by God here in Genesis, and they are intended to alert us to the fact that something momentous was about to be created by the triune God. In solemnity, as the climax of God's creative work, God created man, his special creature. Thirdly, The fact that man is the crowning work of God's creation is revealed by the fact that man and man alone had the breath of life breathed into his nostrils. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Hebrew word translated breath is only used of men. That Hebrew word is never used of animals throughout the entire Old Testament. With the gift of the breath of life, God gave More to man than the mere physical life principle, which he also gave to animals. They are living creatures, but they didn't get the breath breathed into them by God. So it's more than just living. God imparted to man through his gift of the breath of life, capacities and privileges which clearly distinguish man from animals. Dear men and women, you did not evolve. You were created by God and you were given this breath of life by God. And because man had the breath of life breathed into him, man has spiritual comprehension of God and of God's moral law. Turn now to Job chapter 32 and verse 8. Job 32 and verse 8. We read there, Job 32, verse 8: But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. And that's the verse. The breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The breath of the Almighty, that word breath, there in Job 32.8, it's the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 2.7. The breath of the Almighty gives understanding, that is spiritual understanding, the ability to discern between good and evil. And consequently, men and women understand that God is their creator and judge, that God is their provider and sustainer. And those of you who live or work or go to the university campuses, you need to remember that your unbelieving friend, he or she may say, I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't, it's just a book by men. I don't believe in a God. I believe in evolution. I don't believe anything that you say you believe as a Christian. I don't believe that. They may say that all they want. But the truth is they were created in the image of God. They were given the breath of God. And though they may suppress the truth in unrighteousness and say they don't believe anything from the Bible whatsoever, you actually already have them on your side, though they don't realize it. And you just simply proclaim gospel truth, Bible truth and say, no, dear friend. You may say you don't believe in God, you may say you don't believe in the Bible, but you were created in the image of God and indeed you were given by God this breath of life which means you do know the difference between good and evil. Now they may not follow what they know and they sin, but we need to understand this. This reality of spiritual understanding which is unique to man is further revealed in the New Testament in Romans chapter two, turn there please, Romans chapter two, verses 14 to 15. Romans chapter two, verse 14. For when the Gentiles that have not the law do by nature the things of the law, these, not having the law, "...are the law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness with them, and their thoughts one with another, accusing or else excusing them." And there we stop our reading. You see, fallen men and women know the work of the law, show the work of the law written in their hearts... That is what the law of God requires of them. And by their acts, all men show that they have knowledge of right and wrong. Man's conscience, that innate knowledge of God and his moral law, and the capacity to distinguish between moral right and moral wrong has been imparted to all by the breath of God. And it is true, as I've already said, Conscience, because of sin, can wrongly instruct people, and that is why we must have the Bible, the Word of God, as our ultimate judge of what is right and wrong. But the point is that man is unique among all of God's creatures because God has breathed into man the breath of life, and thus man has a conscience, so all of you single men and women here tonight, you need to remember these vital truths. Now, you might be thinking, where's this taking us? Well, how, how's this going to apply to me as a single man or woman? Just sit tight. OK, so fourthly, the fact that man is the crowning work of God's creation is revealed by the fact that man was given dominion over the entire creation. Turn back to Genesis chapter one and verse 27. Genesis 1 verse 27. The fact that man is the crowning work of God's creation is revealed by the fact that man was given dominion over the entire creation. Genesis 1:27. "And God created man in his own image, in the image of God created He him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. There we stop the reading. Notice from this passage that God created man and woman... To be his vice-regents in the earth. A vice-regent is a person who exercises delegated power on behalf of a sovereign. So the sovereign in this case is God. God the king. And he has made man and woman vice-regents here on this earth. He has given them delegated power. Kings of the earth do not choose second-class citizens to be their vice-regents. So if you have a king of a country here in uh, Africa and he wants to send a vice-regent to another part of his land, he doesn't choose somebody who is a sloppy citizen. God didn't choose second-class citizens to be his vice-regents. God ordained man and woman I find this is often overlooked by people when they read this passage in Genesis chapter one. God ordained man and woman to be his vice regents over all his created order. He commanded man and woman to labor, to subdue and rule his creation as his stewards. This was a privileged position and privileged responsibility, which was not given to any other creature, and it highlights man's and woman's unique place in God's created order. And thus, we also learn that this task of subduing and ruling the creation given to man and woman prior to the fall into sin is a good thing, a good work, not a burden. So we've seen man and woman were created by direct act of God. Man is the crowning work of God's creation for these reasons. But now thirdly, man and man alone is an image bearer of God. Turn again, probably already there, to Genesis 1, verse 26 and verse 27. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We'll stop there, the reading of God's word. Notice again that both man and woman were created in the image of God. And being created in the image and likeness of God again proclaims to you this night the distinction and preeminence of man over all the other creatures. Their image-bearing capacities, man and woman, their image-bearing capacities had nothing to do with the married state. Are you following? Their image bearing capacities had nothing to do with their married state. The man and the woman were image bearers of God as individual creatures made by God. So what does that mean? God has no body. God is a spirit. What does it mean that Man and woman were created in the image of God. Well, first of all, specifically, Adam and Eve imaged God in their beings. Adam and Eve imaged God in their beings. God, the Bible reveals, is personal. God is a communicating God. God, if I can use this phrase, is intellectual. God has holiness and righteousness. God, we're told in the Bible, has various emotions. God is love. God has wrath. Now, God's emotions are not like our emotions. But this is who God is in his being. And man and woman were created to image God, to image God's being as personal communicating, intellectual, emotive, holy, and righteous creatures. And that was the case before the fall into sin. At creation, their image-bearing capacities accurately reflected God's being, although in a very limited, creaturely fashion. The image of God in man as communicator is seen by the fact that man and man alone has been given the capacity of rational speech, of communicating intellectually and personally and ethically with words. Animals do not communicate with rational speech. They were not made in the image of God. The image of God in man as a holy and righteous creature at creation before the fall, is seen by the fact that man and woman before the fall, they had a moral nature that was monitored by their conscience. The fall has changed much. But I just want you to understand, men and women were created to image God accurately in their beings, so that when others looked at them and their lives, they could see an accurate image of God, the creator, not a distorted image. Now it's all changed because of sin. We do not accurately image God as sinners. When we become born again believers in Jesus Christ, we begin to have that image restored more and more through the sanctification process of the Spirit of God. But again, sit tight, follow with me. So Adam and Eve image God in their being. Secondly, Adam and Eve image God in their activities. As God rules his entire creation... So man is to image God in his actions by ruling, dominating, and subduing the creation in which God has made him a vice-regent. We also learn from Genesis that God created and then God rested on the seventh day. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Adam and Eve image God before the fall by laboring six days each week within their spheres of responsibility and then resting one day in seven as God had done. We need to understand that's what they were to do and that's what they did do, Adam and Eve, before the fall. But even after the fall, we who are created in the image of God We are to image him accurately. That's to be our goal. By the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we can in part do that. And we are to follow that example of laboring six days in seven and resting one day in seven, even as God did. But now thirdly, Adam and Eve imaged God by being sinless. Adam and Eve imaged God by being sinless. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Everything that God created during the six days of the creation week was very good. Nothing was tainted by sin. There was nothing unclean, unrighteous, or evil. Adam and Eve were both created upright and sinless. And as such, they imaged God in their righteous and sinless beings. Again, the fall has changed all of that. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the process of sanctification, the process of being restored to what we were originally intended to be at the creation will indeed happen ultimately for every believer in Jesus Christ. At death, every true believer in Jesus Christ, the soul is separated from the body and Instantly, that soul is perfectly glorified. The body is put into the earth. But on the day of Christ's return, all of the dead shall rise. And the bodies of those who died in Christ will be raised, instantly glorified, reunited to their already glorified spirits. And as body, spirit entities, they will once again be perfectly sinless. In the presence of God. That's the ultimate goal, of course, of God's work of salvation. So God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So Adam and Eve were both created upright and sinless. And as such, they image God and their righteous and sinless beings. So all of that, I understand, is a lot to make you think. But now I'd like to give you some practical lessons for unmarried men and women. First of all, in the light of all that we've seen tonight, you may not have caught this, but I hope you now catch it from what I'm saying. Your identity as an unmarried man, an unmarried woman, it's not, your identity is not bound up to your marital state. You were created by God. God is your creator. You are the crowning work of God's creative work as a man, as a woman. You were created in the image of God. Though that image has been marred because of the reality of the fall and because of your own sin, still you were made in the image of God. Your identity as an unmarried man, an unmarried woman, is bound first of all to these realities revealed in scripture. You were created to have communion with the living God. The Bible teaches that God is independent of his creation. The Bible also teaches that God does not need man or woman or man's communion, woman's communion and fellowship. The Bible teaches that God does not need you. God does not need me. Now, some people find that shocking, but when you study the Bible, you will understand God didn't create man and woman because he needed them. I need food and water to live, I need friendships, I need my wife. And of course, spiritually, I need the Lord Jesus Christ. I have many needs. But God does not need anything. Because he is God. He doesn't need you or me. God is independent of his creation. And although that is entirely true. It is also true. That God created man. And woman so that man would serve and worship God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength. You were created by God to have fellowship and communion with God. You were created by God in order to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And this privilege of serving and worshiping God, again, is not connected to the marital state. It is rooted in the reality that each man and woman was created as individuals in the image of God. I am not a married Christian. Now you see I have a gold ring on my hand, so I'm married. I'm not a married Christian. I'm a Christian who is married. I'm not an American Christian. I'm a Christian who is an American. I'm not a white Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to have white skin. My identity is that I am a Christian because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is my only savior for sin, from sin. So you need to understand your identity as a man, as a woman, if you are a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, your identity is not connected to being married, being South African, having black skin or white skin. Your identity as a Christian is that you are a Christian. has no connection with whether you're married or not married. That's the most important reality. You must see that you are to be identified first and foremost as a Christian, man or woman, if you are a believer in Christ. But secondly, by way of a lesson, as a single man or woman, you have the privilege and responsibility to subdue the earth and to exercise dominion over the created order. As biblical Christians, we understand that this earth is not our final resting place. We do not believe that we can so change this world now with our powers and somehow transform it into a garden of Eden once again a sinless utopia. No, this is a fallen world which has been cursed because of man's sin. But nevertheless, men and women, including unmarried men and women, have the God-given privilege and responsibility to exercise dominion over the earth. So if you're in the university, or a university, in your academic studies, as well as in your other work, you can and should endeavor to fulfill this dominion mandate given to you by God. When you study history, you should be studying history as a Christian man or woman, understanding that, look, the more I understand of history, the more I am fulfilling my responsibility to understand God's world or biology, or mathematics, or finance, or music, or engineering. In all of your academic studies, you need to remember, I have been given by God this privilege to study, and as I study, I am in part fulfilling my God-given responsibility and privilege to subdue the earth through my gaining of knowledge. And the same with whatever work you may do as a man or a woman. You can honor God in your work, remembering that as a Christian, I've been called upon by God to subdue the earth. Again, I'm not going to subdue it in a way that it will become a sinless utopia. So whenever you are using your skills, whether it is to uh, plan out a financial spreadsheet To create a website, to learn how to play a musical instrument, to craft a pair of shoes, to organize logistics for a construction project. In all of those realms, it is your privilege as a Christian man or woman who is unmarried to find joy in your studies, joy in your hard work. You can glorify God. God who took delight and satisfaction in all that he created you can glorify God by taking joy and delight and satisfaction in your studies in the university and in whatever work endeavors you may embark on you need to understand that but thirdly a third lesson as single a single man or woman You have the privilege and responsibility to image God with your words and your actions. Specifically, with your words as a Christian man, a Christian woman who's not married, you have the privilege and responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. You don't need to be married to do that. And you all, I'm sure, know that. You have a privilege, a responsibility to share the gospel with others, with your words, with your lifestyle. And that is an immense privilege which you have throughout your life, but especially now as unmarried men and women in the university. You have special opportunities to get the ear and hopefully the mind and the heart of your fellow students by speaking the gospel to them. And when you do that, you see, you're doing what God would have you to do. The Lord sovereignly brought the gospel to me when I was in my last month of my last year of university. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not raised in a Christian church. I went through four years of university as a pagan an unconverted man, a rebel. But I didn't know it. I thought life was wonderful. And a Christian man at the university spoke to me the gospel. And by his words and his actions, you see, he brought that truth to me and the Lord used it and delivered me from my sins. He was not a married man. He was an unmarried man and he was fulfilling his privilege and responsibility as an image bearer of God to share the gospel with a sinner like me. And you have that privilege and responsibility as unmarried men and women. But as unmarried men and women, you also have the privilege to serve others without the added responsibilities of the married life. Now, there's a there's an unmarried man at Trinity Baptist Church in New Jersey, and he came to me recently. He said, you know, Pastor Smith, I think you and other married people actually have more free time than I do as an unmarried man. Do you believe he had the guts to say that to me? He did. He wasn't trying to be obnoxious, but he said, you have a wife. So your wife fixes your dinner. I don't have a wife. I have to fix my own dinner. I said to him, I said, well, look, brother, you live in an apartment and I have a home, so I have those responsibilities. You're unmarried, I have children. You don't have any children. I said, you're not thinking clearly. I don't think I persuaded him, actually. but So, but... Seriously, I think you all understand as unmarried men and women, you have the privilege to serve others without the responsibilities that are added to someone who is married. So in the local church, if you're a member of this church or you attend this church, you need to use the eyes that God has given you and the ears that God has given you to look and to hear what are the needs in the church and the fellowship where I, as an unmarried man or woman, could help out. If you look, if you listen, you will probably see there are many ways that you can help others and serve in the church. You can speak to the deacons in this church, speak to the pastors in this church, and say, look, as an unmarried man, an unmarried woman, I would like to be able to serve more here in the church, or serve in the fellowship of the church. How can I do that? You should seize those opportunities. And again, remember, your identity as a Christian man, a Christian woman, is not tied up with the fact that you're not married. It's tied up with the fact that you're a Christian. And then you can also, as you're fellowshipping one with another, and you're talking to a wife, who has a newborn and she has two other children as well. One is five, one is three and she's got a newborn and her husband has a very demanding job and you might have some extra time and you say to her, is there some way I could help you out in your home? Maybe help with cooking, maybe help with cleaning, maybe give her a break by actually watching the two older children for a Saturday so that she has extra time at home to do other responsibilities. You need to use your eyes and ears and you need to seek to find out ways that you can serve as an unmarried man or woman because you do have more time than those who are married. But this historical account, fourthly, This historical account of the entire creation reveals the grace of God, which has been shown to all men and women, including men and women who are unmarried. If you are a Christian here this night, you have received the gift of life, not only biological life, because you're here and you're breathing. But if you are a genuine Christian, you have received this gracious gift of eternal life from God. And you need to worship God and be thankful to God for that reality. If you are a Christian here tonight, not married, you nevertheless have fellowship and communion with God as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as your Creator. And that is a matter of God's grace. You don't deserve that, but you have that. All of the good gifts that you have in your life, food, water, the ability to hear music, the ability to sing the hymn that we sang tonight at the very outset of this service, those are all good gifts that God has given to you And you need to delight in those good gifts and see that they are gracious gifts from your God, Creator, and Savior. But especially, of course, if you are a Christian, you have the blessing of salvation from all your sins. And your salvation is also all of grace from start to finish, from beginning to end. If you are a genuine Christian, Your salvation and forgiveness of sins is all a matter of undeserved favor from God the creator, God the savior in Jesus Christ. So dear Christian men and women, you who are unmarried, be thankful to God for all of his blessings. And also remember Jesus said on one occasion, In heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. In heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. I don't fully understand that, but your identity should not be wrapped up with the fact that you're married or not married but wrapped up with the fact that you are in union with Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. And you can, in that identity, live and serve him here on this earth. So I'm going to close with some words from a hymn. And I hope these words from this hymn will come to your heart I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry about that. (laughs) And I have no idea whether you would know this hymn or not. Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or a secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child and guided where I go. I ask thee for the daily strength, to none that ask denied, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. In service which thy will appoints, there are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. You see some of the key points here for all of us, whether married or not. I ask thee for a present mind. You can be so caught up with, oh Lord, am I ever going to find a husband? I'm now 25 years old and I still haven't found a husband. Or I'm 27, I don't have a husband. Or I'm 30, or now I'm 35, I have no husband. You can be very wrapped up and anxious, Lord. I want a husband, I pray for a husband, I don't have a husband. You can end up being very, very anxious. And instead you need to say, I ask thee for present mind, intent on pleasing thee. I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, you see. Single men can be just as guilty. You know, I'm praying for a godly wife and I dated this woman and it didn't work out. I dated that Christian woman and it didn't work out. I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, nothing's happening. In service which your will appoints, there are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes Thy children free. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. Unmarried men and women, you need to be content in your state of being unmarried. You need to ask God to help you to serve the Lord now in your present state. You need to not be anxious and worried and fearful, running here and there. You need to say, Lord, teach me your truth that truly makes me free. And give me grace, your grace, your spirit, to live a life of self-renouncing love. What did Jesus say on more than one occasion? It's recorded more than once. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Self-denial. A life of self-renouncing love. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and then follow Christ. That is what you men and women need to have in your mind and heart. The most important thing in life is to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve him, to serve his people, to follow him, to obey him, to have a life of self-renouncing love. That's a life of liberty. Yes, pray that God would provide you a godly husband or a godly wife, and then men don't only pray for a godly wife, then do something about it. I can tell by the laughter that you have the same problem here, Pastor Lalo. I've had, I've had sincere, godly young men who are not married say that to me. Pastor Smith, I've been praying, I've been praying for the last year. Well, what have you done practically? They don't, they don't even try to talk to some of the women. I'm not talking about flirting. You know, I'm not talking about sinful things. And then in some cases, and now I'm going to be very honest. Well, I was honest before. (laughs) But with the men, you need to ask your pastors or mature married men in the church, what what can you see in my life that I should endeavor by God's grace to change? Sometimes it's something practical where the young man, or maybe not so young, he dresses like a slob. And <laughs> I'm not making these things up from my own experience. He dresses like a slob. Well, no no lady's going to be interested if you look like a slob. Do you use that term, slob? Yeah. In other, other situations, the man doesn't have good employment. Now, there may be legitimate reasons why he doesn't have good employment. But if you want to get married, you need to have some sort of decent employment so you can support your wife and have children. I'm not saying you need to have your own home. You may be renting all your life, but you've got to have some sort of employment that is meaningful as a man. But more importantly, men, spiritual vigor is it there in your heart and life. Oh, yeah, you can say, I want, to be, I want to be a husband. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly father. Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you reading your Bible and taking that truth into your heart every day? Are you pleading with God to sanctify you in the word of truth? Are you, again, asking mature Christian men and women here in the church What areas in my life do you see there's a need for spiritual growth, for sanctification? If I was a godly woman, not married, I would not want to marry a Christian man, a true Christian man, who doesn't read his Bible every day. How is he going to be my spiritual leader? You make time for Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram. For social media, you make time for Netflix, you make time for uh, sports programs, you make time for this, this, uh, you know, you make lots of time for lots of things. You make time even to eat. And you make no time to read the Word of God every day. You need to be reading the Word of God every day, and not just five minutes. Well, I don't know that I could do more than 15 or 20. Well, start off at least with 15 minutes each day. But really, if you look at the way you spend time each day, you will find you waste a lot of time. You want to be married, unmarried men? You have a lot to deal with before God. Unmarried women. You thought you were gonna get off the hook. But notice I started with the men That was not accidental. I have found in marriage problems, the majority of the times when there's marriage problems, the problem is with the husband. It's not that the woman, the wife has done no sin or no wrong, but the man is not leading in the home, in the marriage. Usually that's the case. Unmarried women, when I ask, so I would like the unmarried men to just not listen now. I'm just teasing. So unmarried women, when I ask an unmarried man, what do you want to see in the woman that would be your wife? At least in America, maybe South Africa is different. Probably not. But a lot of the men, not all of them, but a lot of the men, these unmarried men, what are you looking for in that woman you'd like to see as your wife? Well, I I want to know that she can submit to me. Because the Bible teaches that wives are to be submissive to their husbands and everything. And I tell the unmarried men, you're not thinking correctly. Now, that may sound shocking, but you need to hear me more. You want a wife, and so this is for the unmarried women, you want a wife who is submissive to the Word of God. If she submits her mind, her heart, her life to the Word of God, she will then submit to you as a husband because that's in the Word of God. So unmarried women, are you submitting your mind your heart, your life to all of the teachings of the scriptures, the word of God? Or do you find certain portions in the Bible, like submitting to a husband, internally you just don't like that? (laughs) And the truth is the godliest husbands are at times difficult for a wife who is godly to submit to. Because the godliest of husbands still have much in the way of remaining sin. And they can at times be wrongly demanding. They can at times sin. But God requires a wife to submit to her husband in everything. Sin accepted. And so unmarried women... Are you submitting your mind, your heart, your will, your life to the teaching of all of the scriptures? Because if you are, you will then gladly submit to your husband. And true submission, dear women, sometimes... Internally, you are fighting, but externally, you are submitting. And that's, that's a good thing. But what you should really be praying for, now that you are still unmarried, Lord, help me to submit to your word in every area of my life from a heart that is cheerfully submitting, willingly submitting, wholeheartedly submitting. That's what you want to pray for. I want not just an internal kind of resistance, but external submission. No, wholehearted, willing, cheerful submission. So, unmarried men, your primary responsibility, and I believe we get to this in subsequent messages My memory is correct, but your primary responsibility once you are married is to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And you know that. If you're a Christian, you know that from the Bible. You know that's your responsibility, your primary responsibility. When you get married, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Do you presently show love to other Christians in the church? Do you show self denying love to other Christians in the church? Doesn't matter whether it's a man or woman, married or not. I'm asking you are you showing love from your heart, with your words, with your life, to others here in the church? Or is your life all about you? It's all about me. It's what I want, what I like, what I don't like, what I don't want. It's all about me. That's a very self-centered life. That's not a life of loving others as Christ loves his church. When you put this gold ring, or whatever color it might be that's traditional in South Africa, I know not, but when you put this ring on your finger, it's not like the light switch. You know, you flip the light switch up, the light goes on, you flip the light switch down, the light goes off. You put this ring on your finger on your wedding day, that doesn't mean I'm now changed. You need to put into practice these biblical truths and principles now before you're married. And the same with the unmarried women. But coming full circle back, I know what I spoke to you about tonight was a lot of stuff for the head. But you do need to understand who you are as a creature made by God in the image of God, and you need to see that your identity as a Christian, I'm assuming I'm speaking to primarily Christians, you need to see that your identity is first of all being united to Jesus Christ by faith. And if you're here tonight and this sounds like total nonsense to you, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, what I would say to you, you need to get a Bible from one of your friends here. And you need to start reading the Bible. Of course, that's what all of us need to be doing. But if this sounds so crazy to you, you need to have a Bible, you need to start reading, read in the Gospel of Mark, have someone show you where that is, and cry out to God as you read the Bible. Because if you're not a Christian, you're on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. Eternal damnation, because you're a sinner. But when you turn away from your sins, whatever they may be in your life, and cry out to the living Lord Jesus Christ, because he is alive, he's not dead. You cry out to him for mercy. He delights to show mercy to helpless, needy sinners just like you. And then you could join this happy band of men and women serving the Lord Jesus Christ here and now. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, our God, we ask that you would please take your truth and write it upon our minds and hearts and use your truth to sanctify each and every one of us, that we would be more like Jesus Christ. We pray that you would increase and deepen our love for your word, increase and deepen our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Increase and deepen our love for one another. And Lord, we do pray that you would provide husbands and wives for those who are unmarried and for those who may never be married, that they would not be discontent, but would understand that they can indeed glorify you and find joy in serving you and serving others, even as an unmarried man and unmarried woman. We pray, our God, that we would all understand that to be unmarried is not to be a second-class citizen. To be united to Jesus Christ by faith indeed is to be a citizen of heaven. So we pray that your truth would indeed permeate our minds and hearts and lives and that we would live in the light of your truth. We ask for these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.